0: to the Short Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching, and today we're going to be learning about the Great Lake Sturgeon. See the
1: difference between these and the ones up at this, the other building? Yeah, and so how old are these? Only five months old. Okay, oh, approximately five months old. So the, yeah, they come in as eggs, and so I'm hoping that, you know... The, all of these survive and will be released at the end of September. What do
0: they feed them?
1: Um, they're getting bloodworms and krill. Okay. So that krill is, is an ocean organism yeah. and, and basically all that comes frozen. Uh-huh. Um, when they're really little, they get live shrimp. So we raise that from scratch, basically. But um, the krilling stuff mimics the food that they'll get here naturally. We have little isopods and other things in that same category that live in the river. And in the lake when I are going. So and that's what you smell. The fish for themselves don't go at all. It's the krill that goes in there.
0: I'm here with Mary Hollibeck at River Edge Nature Center. Mary, can you tell us what your title is here and what exactly you do?
1: Sure. I'm the Citizen Science Manager for the Nature Center, and one of the many things that I do is to manage the Sturgeon project. I'm the on-site manager, overseen by the DNR. Um, but, uh, so officially that's one of the things I do, along with many other things. I'm also in charge of the high school testing the waters program, hmm. which is in many of the high schools in the area, along with a lot of the other
0: things. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about sturgeon for listeners who might not be familiar with them, where they're from, what their characteristics are, and all sure. Of that?
1: sure. So lake sturgeon, that's a, the species we're talking about, are um, endemic to um Wisconsin and many of the states in the U.S., but um, there are 27 species altogether worldwide, and they're all what they call circumpolar. They're found in the northern hemisphere, okay. uh, and that has to do with the, you know the kind of water quality and you know temperature of the water and so on that they prefer. But all 27 species are either on the threatened and endangered species worldwide, uh, mostly for the same reason um, they. Um, were overfished back in the 1800s and and you know dams pollution and a lot of other things led to their demise and that was also the case for the lake sturgeon but um, they are the oldest and largest freshwater fish in the Great lakes so um, people that have been perhaps out fishing you know for salmon or something out on lake Michigan may have encountered them um but they they get quite large they you know the lake sturgeon can get, get seven to nine feet Oh wow. uh, and so yeah they, it's quite quite an eye-opener for somebody who sees one for the first time. So that's a mature sturgeon, but but um, if we're talking about the other species, such as green or white sturgeon, they can get much larger, but those are ocean-dwelling, okay. not found around here kind of thing. There are two other species of sturgeon that are found in Wisconsin. One is the pallid, which is nearly extinct, and the other is, is the shuttle-nose. And those are also... Um, not very common and they're found in the western part of the state. Okay. So um, say for instance the Mississippi River or the Wisconsin River and when they're mature you wouldn't mistake the one for the other. The lake sturgeon gets, gets much bigger, the shovel nose is a much smaller fish and so you know they, they are very unique in that they are basically a living dinosaur. Uh-huh. Uh, they. Um, Lake sturgeon is over 150 million years old in lineage, and um, they predate the Great Lakes and the dinosaurs. Oh wow! So, so yeah, so they were found in the stomachs of dinosaurs. So the dinosaurs were eating sturgeon, and so that, that helped be able to, to date the um, the sturgeon. But so they get, they go way back, mm. uh, and you know the fact that they got into the Great Lakes. Well, the Great Lakes weren't here until the glaciers were, and so the you know the sturgeon actually predate the glaciers, the last glacier period too. So when the Great Lakes were carved out by the glaciers, they found their way from the bigger rivers mm-hmm. like the Mississippi and and then out into the Great Lakes. So so a really huge fish, and they um, they're kind of primitive. If you saw them, you would think yeah. so too. Mm-hmm. They have um, um, they have scoots instead of scales. So our modern fish have scales mm-hmm. to cover their bodies, where mm-hmm. a, a sturgeon has scoots, which are Armored plates Mm -hmm. and the armored plates come together in five rows. So, Mm -hmm. so if you can picture these plates coming together in five spots on the body of the fish, and that protects them, especially when they're young, Mm -hmm. um, from being eaten by something bigger. So, that makes them unique and they're a bottom dweller, so perfectly harmless. Don't Mm -hmm. have teeth as adults, just a a sucking mouth part, and they have barbells, Mm -hmm. a lot like a carp, you know, to feel their way around the bottom and Mm -hmm. to feel. Um, the food they're going to eat and that kind of thing. So um, the cartilage instead of bone. So again, that makes them different and unique in the, in the animal kingdom.
0: So. Yeah, is there like outer surface kind of hard, kind of like a turtle, or is it, right, is it yeah. softer?
1: yeah. You feel them when they're young, and so a fish that's less than about 10 years old is going to look really rugged looking with those mm-hmm. plates coming together. But as they get older, just like humans, <laughs> we kind of get that middle age spread. <laughs> well, same thing happens with the sturgeon. They kind of Sleek out and they don't even look like the same species huh. from the time they're you know they're young to the time that they're old enough to, to start spawning and as a mature adult sturgeon, they're gonna look really sleek and and almost slippery, although they're okay. not.
0: <laughs> so, how did the restoration program come about? Um, and are there any partners involved?
1: Oh, certainly, yeah. So this project got started. We are the first streamside breeding facility in Wisconsin. And we got our start in 2006, and the DNR and, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service came together and decided that you know the population of lake sturgeon in Lake Michigan had been depleted to the point where they really felt it was necessary to start trying to mm. you know um, encourage new growth in the lake. So they um, they have six of these facilities, these streamside marine facilities, on Lake Michigan. Um, There are two in Wisconsin and four in Upper Michigan, Mm -hmm. along with the hatchery in Upper Michigan. Um, All of us are kind of regulated the same way, Mm -hmm. even though it's two different DNRs. Mm -hmm. Um, We we both have sort of the same regulations that um, we release anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 fish a year, and and, um, that is so that we aren't, like, swamping the gene pool, you know, (laughs) from any one of these six or seven facilities. you know, we're trying to get as much di- genetic diversity out in the lake as possible. So um, so they're all, they, all of the facilities look alike. And, and ours is the only one, though, that's pretty much operated by volunteers with staff oversight. The volunteers are here every day helping and, and um, doing things like caring for the fish and cleaning and, and backwashing filters and that sort of thing. And we take mm-hmm. care of some of the extra feedings and treatments and so on.
0: So yeah, what exactly does the project entail? So there's feeding, there's, you know, raising them. You said that you get eggs here. So like right. how long does it take them to hatch? How long do they grow here before they're released? Good question. Um, so um,
1: the breeding stock, actually, the lake sturgeon are found in 19, uh, well, they're, they're endangered in 19 of the 20 states. They're found in Wisconsin. is the only state that they're not on the threatened and endangered species list. Uh, they are on the watch list here in Wisconsin. Okay. And um, Wisconsin, in that uh, kind of the Lake Winnebago area and the Wolf River mm-hmm. chain, um, that is the breeding ground for lake sturgeon throughout the country, if not the world. Okay. That's where there's the highest concentration of lake sturgeon. So, um, so the project gets started when the, um, the sturgeons start migrating out of the lakes which would be like Lake Winnebago Mm -hmm. or or some of the other um, lakes in that general area, they start migrating up the rivers to start spawning. The males come in first, and then the females follow about four or five days later. And this takes place when the water temperature in the Wolf River gets to be about 50 or 55 degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, The sturgeon can tell, I don't know how they (laughs) do. And so the males migrate in, Preparation for spawning, and then the females follow a couple of days later, um, and then they spawn, uh, you know, along the edges of the the, the river where there are these rocky outcroppings for mm-hmm. their eggs. Once they're laid, would have a safe place to attach to mm-hmm. and not keep getting washed downstream. So this year, our eggs came the, the 9th of April, which okay. is the second earliest we've ever received them. This is the 15th year of the project, and, mm-hmm. and only one other time did we get them this early. Um, other years, it can be as late as the 9th of May. It oh, all depends well. on what happens in the, yeah, the, in the north yeah. part of you know, yeah. the state um, because they oftentimes get lakes. Snowstorms mm-hmm. that we don't get here, and of course all that snow when it starts melting goes into the Wolf River and cools it down. So, yeah. so the spawning period is usually about a week long, um, but that too varies depending on the temperature. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the, the eggs they actually are collected and fertilized right there. Uh, along the Wolf River. These these eggs have came this year from right below the Shawnee Dam and they bring them immediately the same day to the streamside breeding facility here and we start raising them as eggs from that very first day on. So So does the
0: DNR collect them or they go out usually with a group of volunteers Mm -hmm. just to watch because
1: it's fun to see how they go about doing this. But um, yeah the DNR and you know and US Fish and Wildlife Mm -hmm. is also there. Um, they're collecting for their facilities. Like there is a, a hatchery uh, in Genoa or Genoa mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. And so they are collecting for their facility along with some others that are from of state. So everybody's collecting yeah, at the same time. It's a big, basically it's a big tourist thing. Lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. not with COVID, but you know, yeah. other years have been a lot more people out there watching this all happen. And then they're brought back here and we start raising them in hatching jars which circulates the eggs, keeps them from sticking together, mm-hmm. uh, and that takes about a week for them to hatch, and then when they hatch, they're tiny, tiny little slivers, basically, mm-hmm. that you can really see, uh, and they don't start feeding until they um, lose their egg sac, mm-hmm. so that can be another week or so, so when they've lost that egg sac, that's when the volunteers start, because that's when we have to start feeding them. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so um, and then they're here the entire summer. Uh, they just keep getting bigger, and uh, we just keep feeding them more. And uh, then they're released in the fall. You know, usually before the first of October, just so they have a chance to get used to the water temperature and out in the lake before you know we run into those the winter weather. So mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of what goes on
0: down here. Yeah, and so how can folks help with the project? Um, can they release their own sturgeon? How does that oh, release yes. the sturgeon? <laughs> so
1: um, we keep them until they're fingerling size where they have a really good chance of survival off mm-hmm. the lake. And, um, and because the water temperature is going to get cold here too, um, they're going to stop growing in the fall, you know, when the temperature here gets to be in the, in the river. This is river water coming into the Streamside River mm-hmm. facility. And they specifically do that. They're raising them on Milwaukee River water so they come back to the Milwaukee River. To spawn when they're an adult, okay. so we're using river water uh-huh. to raise them on. And so when the you know we get into the fall weather and the temperature in the river starts cooling down, they're going to stop growing. And so there's really no point in keeping them here any longer. That's why they release them in early October. But mm-hmm. but yes, they we have an event that is coming up uh-huh. on the 19th of September that that is. Um, combined with Harbor Fest. Mm-hmm. So Harbor Fest, Sturgeon Fest, and the Milwaukee River Keepers are all combining their activities this year and we're all going to do this as one big event um, at, the, the, at the harbor on the 19th of mm-hmm. September. So that's one thing people can do to get involved is, is help us with the project by supporting a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it basically is helping is a donation to help us keep the project going. So as I mentioned, this is 15th year, but we have 10 more years of this to go. This Mm -hmm. is a 25-year project because um, Lake Sturgeon females don't mature until they're 25 years old. So we won't know for sure Mm -hmm. that this project has been a success until the females start coming back. Our first male from 2007 came back this year at age 15. The males mature earlier Mm -hmm. than the females do. So the first mature male from our Streamside Brilliant Facility came up the river this year in April, just like they were supposed to, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't find any uh, females, so <laughs> to go back out and next year come back, perhaps or a couple years later come back, and eventually they'll hopefully find the females that have been raised here too. So,
0: so do you tag the fish in order to keep track of them? Yes, yeah, so all
1: of the fish, that's another reason why they're um, kept here until they're big enough to tag. So um, they put a, what's called a pit tag, passive integrated transponder, in this little pit tag. is like the microchip you put in your cat or dog okay. to, to keep track of them, you know, if they get lost. Well, the pit tag um, stays with that fish for life, hopefully. It doesn't fall out. Uh, but it's about the size of a grain of rice. And on that tag, there's a 15-digit number, and that 15-digit number identifies it as a fish that was raised here on the Milwaukee River water. And it also includes, you know, a big database. It includes who the parents, the adults were that were involved in the project that year, mm-hmm. and all that kind of information too. So they're they're you know trapped in that that regard but um, only if they're recaptured can they tell mm-hmm. that those fish are from here and, and they do the the dnr does survey work not just necessarily for sturgeon, mm-hmm. but they they do recapture them you know when they're out you know trying to survey for perch or Mm-hmm. Or whatever the other yeah. organism might be. So, you know, and they have recaptured a bunch of them. The ones this year that they found just happened to be big enough and noticeable enough that somebody called the DNR and said, hey, there's a pretty good sized sturgeon out here, you know, somewhere in that Estrobrook Dam area. Uh-huh. And um, and so the DNR was able to come out and they're quite docile. And so they, um, they were able to, to net them, mm-hmm. scan them. You know, they
0: use a barcode scanner just like you use in the grocery okay. store. <laughs> scan your groceries well that number
1: gets you know read out on that scanner and then they can check their database and sure enough that's how they found out it was from here so it's pretty exciting yeah right? it's pretty cool right so they also in the first couple of years take the with um, they used um, telemetry, so they had radio collars mm-hmm. on um, some of the fish, so they could um, actually track them with telemetry. Okay. So see then, where they would,
0: kind of where they would go.
1: Right, and then after that, they um, they also two years after that, you know, so 2007 and 8, they put sonic tags in them and basically track them with sonar, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's installed and in, was installed in the river, so they would pick up the pinging sound from those tags on those fish. They wanted to know how fish, fast the fish were moving out of the river and out into the lake and, mm-hmm. and they found some were really slow and lazy and, and mm-hmm. took uh, almost a month to move out and others, you know, were gone in a week. So, mm-hmm. you know, they moved right out into the lake. So so um so that's the reason for that kind of thing. But they don't they don't continue that because they already have that information. There was no sense in continuing to, to tag them and monitor them that way because they knew kind of mm-hmm. you know what the pattern was.
0: Yeah, do they spend, like, most of their life in the lake or in the river? Is it equally divided? They, like, they spend their
1: whole life out in the lake, okay. you know, um, and the same is true of the fish in the Winnebago mm-hmm. area. They only come back to the rivers to spawn. Okay. Uh, and, and, I mean, when they're tiny, when small, they might hang around the mouth of the river, you know, it's protected or mm-hmm. the water's a little warm or whatever, but, but as they get more mature, they're going to move out into the lake further. So they're a near-shore fish, so people that are out... On their boats, you know, doing mm-hmm. some kind of casual fishing might encounter them. Um, you cannot fish for them legally on Lake Michigan. Um, there are other places, you know, in Wisconsin where there's a hook and line season for them, okay. but not on Lake Michigan. So wherever they've been, Basically wiped out from, or almost uh-huh. wiped out from. They're trying to restore the population so they don't have a fishing
0: season there. Mm-hmm. Um, they so, if somebody to, were to casually catch one, would they just have to release them right, again? Right, yeah. exactly. And they would know. I mm-hmm. mean, this
1: fish is so unique; yeah. they would know that this is not something they've ever seen before, probably. Yeah. And so they would know right away they have something that you know is unusual and, and put it back. So, so yeah, it, it's a, it's regulated in that regard.
0: Cool. Yeah. All right, so finally, this wouldn't be a library podcast if we didn't talk about books. Sure. Um, would you care to share a little bit about your favorite nature or science books? Um, sure. Um,
1: Actually, we were quite lucky. That, um, when this project started in 2006, there really wasn't much written about Lake Sturgeon, mm-hmm. uh, nor was there much you know, in the way of um, movies or programs or anything about that. But um, in 2007, the, the um, this was one of those bigger movies that you might see down at uh, Discovery World or someplace like that. Um, where um, it was called Mystery of the Great Lakes. It starred a lake sturgeon (laughs) and our own Ron Brook from Wisconsin. He is uh, um, one of the DNR people that worked on the sturgeon project for 40 years. He was the star of the show along with the sturgeon. And um, so it was called Mystery of the Great Lakes and we watched them filming it. Uh Um, And that that was really fun to watch and then go and see it um, in one of those theaters in the round. Uh, and then their book came out. So, right after that, a book that's called People of Sturgeon okay. came out about the same time, 2008 or 2009. And Ron Brooke and um, Kathleen Schmidt and also Fred Minkowski from the Water Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, All three of them are co-authors for the book, but it's the most comprehensive book on Lake Sturgeon, especially uh, because it's uh, it's pretty pretty pertinent to Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. um, and really fun reading, lots of great pictures, but a lot about not only the history of the projects here in Wisconsin, but also um, the Native American kind of um, perspective on lake sturgeon. Sturgeon are already revered fish in the Native American culture. It doesn't matter which species or mm-hmm. which tribe. They are revered by all of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there's a lot of that kind of information in the book, along with, we have a rich history of the, they're called the sturgeon guards. And, and these were people that lived up in that area around Lake Winnebago and back when the sturgeons started to just dwindle in numbers, they started to realize that if we, if we don't police ourselves, mm-hmm. these fish are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And there was just so much poaching going on, fishing for them all at the season, taking too many all at once, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So they created the sturgeon guards and um, the sturgeon guards basically pa- patrolled the shorelines of the lake and the rivers when they were coming in to spawn to keep people from taking the fish while they were in the spawn. And so now, you know, they're, this continues to this day mm-hmm. uh, and there are other states and other countries that that are doing the same sort of thing to protect their sturgeon to keep them from being poached when they're they're so vulnerable in the spring when they're there to spawn. So this is you know one of the best books. I, you know, my book is just you uh, know <laughs> uh, uh, you know highlighted and earmarked yeah. everywhere. Um, then there is another book that's called the Great Lake Sturgeon, and it was written by Manny Alri and Dave Dempsey. The that is a little um, I I would say more technical. Um, mm. You know, a little less fun reading, uh-huh. um, not, not just, you
0: know, the information is all very... Yeah, just more thick. academic, maybe. Right, or, yeah. exactly. I just follow the pictures. You
1: know, <laughs> enjoy it here. But there are a lot of children's books about it, too. And as uh-huh. I mentioned, that um, because it is a revered fish in the Native American culture, there's one that that's called Nanaboso, Soaring Eagle, uh, and the Great Sturgeon. And it's a story about... Um, A family that was getting quite hungry and they went out to fish for sturgeon Mm -hmm. in the winter months when they were hard to come by and they kept taking more and more fish. And, he, and in doing so, one of the children in the family like nearly drowned. Okay. And um, and then the father of the family started to reconsider um, why he was taking so many fish when he really didn't need them. So they started putting them all back and then kind of they learned their lesson uh-huh. and so only took what they needed. So that was the moral of that story. Okay. But it's, it's really nicely illustrated oh, yeah. and um, and. A, really nice, fun book for kids. There's another one that's called The Tale of the Great White Fish, which um, we don't have white sturgeon here. That's another mm-hmm. species, an ocean species. But what's nice about it is, again, good illustration and a lot about the life history of the lake sturgeons. So, so those are a couple that I would recommend between the uh, adult books and the, and the children's books, you know, um, enjoyable reading.
0: Cool, thank you. Uh, can you tell us any more about what people can expect at Sturgeon Fest this year on September 19th? Sure,
1: sure. So the event starts at 11 o'clock and it's free and open to the public, you know, so, you know, all three of those things going on at the same time. Um, Eleven o'clock, people will start coming in. Uh, Eleven thirty. For those who are interested in, in the sturgeon project, they will. There will be sort of a uh, opening remarks, thanking our sponsors, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then right at noon, we have a, a native American person who will be. His name is Dan Schiller. He will be blessing the sturgeon, which is a tradition, mm-hmm. um, to, to send these fish off, you know, give them wish them good luck yes. out there as they grow and mature in the lake. And so, you know, there's a short little, you know, blessing of the of the fish and he releases um, one of the fish and then everybody else starts releasing right after that mm-hmm. so um, so our project that you know once they're starting to go in the water we're pretty much done but it can because we have over a thousand fish it can take a couple hours mm-hmm. to you know let all these fish go which is wonderful yeah it's a great family event it's, it's so fun to see the kids and the, and the, the families releasing these fish and Again, knowing full well that these fish are probably gonna outlive all of us. <laughs> so, you know, this is your way of touching future. Those fish someday will come back to this river and we'll be so proud of the fact that we were involved in the project. But then starting at twelve thirty, Milwaukee River keepers will start their boat parade. Okay. Uh, and you know, I've been there for that and it's you know, it's so fun watching. Every year they have a theme and the boats are all decorated according to the theme and they all start come past the End of the harbor, there, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of cheering, and you know, it just is a, a fun event. And mm-hmm. so, that'll go on probably 12 30 to maybe 1 15, uh, 1 <laughs> depends on how, how you know, if yeah. a lot of wind, they might lose, yeah, how the river's doing that day, yeah, how many you know, boats they get in the parade. But then, uh, going on throughout all of that, they have food trucks and they have. Um, fishing, they have an actual um, a touch tank for Wisconsin fish, a okay. big swimming pool with bass and northern and whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and this big swimming pool. And so the kids and families can come and see the native fish in the, in the big swimming pool. They have other fishing demonstrations. They've got a band that's going to be playing. So, you know, it's a festival for sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of, lot of things going on, you know, different places, different times. The School of Freshwater Sciences is also going to be um, allowing people in to take tours, so so there's no end of things that you could do once you get there.
0: Yeah, normally it was at Lakeshore State Park, right? So this year it's at the UWM School of Freshwater Sciences. Right, it's mm-hmm. right
1: there, you know. So I, again, it has been instrumental in raising sturgeon too, just in a different way. Um, you know, they're uh, they're doing a lot more experiments and that sort of thing in the uh-huh. school. So it's a, a different kind of project that they're working on there a lot more research going on in the school too so so you perhaps get a chance to see much bigger sturgeon if you walk mm-hmm. through the school i'm not sure what the, you know what their tool will involve but one of the fellows that wrote the book is actually you know employed who been part of the okay. school for eons so yeah. Yeah, it sounds
0: fun. like it'll be a great event.
1: Right, I'm hoping to get my <laughs> own tour that <split>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never been there yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful building. All right, well, thank you very much, Mary. Uh, I'm glad that we got to talk about sturgeon. And
1: yes, I hope you come down, and if not, check us out. You know, the Streamside Room Facility is here, and will be for the next 10 years, so uh, <laughs> through pretty much the whole summer months, you know. So if we call the Nature Center, we can arrange for you to, to tour the Streamside rooming Facility too. If you come out this way, so.
0: So once again, that event is on Sunday, September 19th. It is located at the UWM School of Freshwater Sciences, 600 East Greenfield Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's going to be between Barclay and Harborview Plaza. Uh, And the event runs from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. So be sure to check it out. Uh, If you are interested in sponsoring a sturgeon, you can go to sturgeonfest.org or to find out information on how to volunteer. And if you can't make it to the fest, you can always visit the sturgeon at River Edge Nature Center, uh, and you can find them at riveredgenaturecenter.org. If you're interested in learning more about the Great Lakes ecology, you can also check out The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan, or The Great Lakes, Natural History of a Changing Region by Wayne Grady. Library News. After Labor Day, we're gonna be returning to our pre-COVID hours. So you can take a look at those on our website at shorewoodlibrary.org. We are also currently seeking applicants for our Teen Advisory Board. Teen Advisory Board members volunteer and earn community service hours. They help design and lead library programs. Uh, They advise on library collections, and they learn a lot of important job skills. Uh, So if you have a teen at home who's entering 7th through 12th grade, you can have them fill out an application on our website at shorewoodlibrary.org backslash teens backslash teen dash advisory dash board or you can have them come into the library and pick up an application. Uh, We will be having a mandatory orientation on September 21st. It will be virtual, and that information is on our events calendar. We are also continuing several of our take-and-make kits, so Art cart-to-go will continue on Wednesdays. We will also have a monthly Tinker Lab kit as well as a monthly teen take-and-make kit. And Miss Heidi is going to be continuing story times on the lawn, which are going to be on Thursdays at 10 a.m., If you're interested in the story times on the lawn, please register via our website. You can click on the link at the event calendar on the first one, which is on September 9th, and go ahead and register for those. She will also be continuing Family Fun Night to go uh, once a month as well. We also have a few adult programs coming up this month. We have Affordable Housing 101 with Reggie Jackson, which is going to be a virtual program offered at 6.30 p.m. on September 14th. And then Haley is going to be hosting the book club, uh, the AM book club, on September 16th. And that will be outside. The book that they are reading is Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Patton. Uh, If weather permits, otherwise, if weather is bad, then it will be virtual. Other than that, you may notice some changes with this podcast. Uh, we will be doing a monthly episode rather than biweekly, and I am going to be getting a new co-host. You may have seen some new faces around the library, and Lizzie Jelly, who's our new librarian, is going to be joining me here. As always, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Shored Stacks. Thank you for listening, and be well. is produced and recorded by Lisa Quintero for the Shore Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found at incompetech.com.